Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are so glad that you are here with us today. If you have your Bibles, can you go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 1? We are going to be in verses 11 uh, through the through the end of the chapter, and just a, a couple of announcements. Um, as you're turning there, next, let me see, so it's March 6th, I should have written down the date, it's, it's next Saturday at 9 a.m., we are going to meet at the, uh, the community churches, uh, the community church has a public park, we're going to meet there, and we're kind of partnering with the community church. It's the annual Walk for Life, but due to COVID, Alternatives is not, um, they're doing a virtual Walk for Life, and so we opted to, to gather as a community uh, here in Valley Center, that we're going to meet at the uh, Valley Center Community Church's uh, little park area at 9 a.m., and then there's a little dirt trail that'll take you down to the Valley Center Road and to, to basically Miller. Um, and it's, I think it's a two-mile round-trip walk. So we're going to meet with you know, a handful of people from our church and a handful of people from their church, and we're going to do the walk uh, together. Uh, but for the Walk for Life, also, uh, I'm not going to really uh, explain sort of in detail what Dinner 8s is, but um, I think we're going to try to get a round of Dinner 8s going again. And so if you're interested in participating with Dinner 8s, uh, go ahead and shoot an email to Melanie and just let her know so that we can start uh, compiling uh, you know, a list of information for people who would like to participate with Dinner 8s. Uh, it's been a while, and I think it's time that we uh, start this back up again. And so if you would like to participate in Dinner 8s, uh, please uh, send it, shoot an email to Melanie, and sh- and we'll, you know, as as information comes in, we'll we'll get that going out. Um, okay, with that, let's pray, and we'll get into Galatians chapter one, verses eleven through twenty-four. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have with each other right now. We ask that you would uh, free our mind with. Uh, from distractions and, and things that are, that are pressing on, in on us right now. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to, to keep our mind focused on your word. And Lord, may we hear from you, uh, from your word uh, concerning our lives. We ask that you would lead us today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. 
but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother's brother. Now, what I, what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went on to the regions of Syria, Cilicia, and was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now as we work through this passage. May you give us uh, insight into what was said by Paul. May we have just clarity of understanding, and may we see uh, applications from this text in our own life. Lord, we do love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. All right, so last week we ended in verse 10 uh, that Paul was defending himself, saying, you, you know, I... I, I, I'm, am I trying to please men or am I trying to please God? And he says, if I was still trying to please men, like I would, I would not be a servant of Christ. And, and in that, we took a little segue to, to look at Paul's former life because he said, if I was still trying to please men, like he, he definitely had a season in his life where his aim was to advance amongst the ranks of men. And he wasn't so concerned with pleasing God. Or he was, I, I generally think that Paul was trying to please God uh, in his former life. Um, but, but really, he was advancing amongst his fellow countrymen, and he really did seek the honor and praise uh, from his peers. And so he begins kind of from verse 10, where he says, For am I now? Uh, seeking the favor of men or of God, am I trying to please men? Or if I were still trying to please men, would I, be, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Uh, he, he's beginning to sort of push back on, on the attacks on his character. Uh, they, the Judaizers are going after Paul. They're trying to discredit him as an apostle. They're trying to discredit him uh, as an individual who represents God. Uh, because ultimately they want to discredit his message. And so today he begins uh, to defend the attacks that he's facing by them. Uh, they, were attack they were attacking him and his relationship with Jesus, namely that he had some distance uh, from Jesus in his earthly ministry. He wasn't there amongst the, the original 12, um, and not only that, he had distance from the actual apostles, like he wasn't a part of the, the actual apostles. And so here is this guy who is coming along with this gospel of grace, who doesn't really have, um, in their minds, sort of like a track record with Jesus, or does he have a track record with the actual apostles? And so ultimately, they're trying to discredit him on these two points, and as a result, it would destroy the veracity of the gospel that Paul was proclaiming. The next two weeks are really interesting. I, I love this section of, of Scripture. It's, uh, we're we're going to have to really dig for applications in our own life, but 
we get to know Paul, the man whom God used to, to really reach out to the Gentiles and, and us. Like we as Gentiles, are the, the vast majority of us are, are, are Gentile believers, and this is the man whom God used to bring the gospel to us. And Paul is going to share about himself, and so we get to know this man. And it's, it's exciting. I, I, I love the sort of the history and the, the backdrop of uh, who he was as an individual. And so with verse 11, we begin. He writes, For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel which was preached by me is not of human in- invention. For I ne- neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he begins with three negatives, sort of like, I did not come to the gospel in these ways. He said he, he did not come to the gospel um, through a, a human invention. Um, it was not re- He didn't receive it through man, nor uh, was it taught to him by a fellow man. And so he said, I, I didn't come to it from human origin. They are saying that He's, he's going about things to sort of be seeker-friendly. This is something that he's created on his own. Um, it's not of God. Uh, concerning the gospel that Paul proclaimed and the one that we hold to, uh, in the handbook of today's religions, it comments on the distinction of the, the gospel of Christianity, uh, that it's, it, this is not of human origin, it goes on to say, one teaching that is totally absent from all the cults is the gospel of the grace of God. No one is taught in the cults that he can be saved from eternal damnation by simply placing his faith in Jesus Christ. It is always belief in Jesus Christ and do this or follow that. All cults attach something to the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. It is never taught that faith in Christ alone will save anyone. So this whole idea of the grace of God, it's, it's unique. No man would come up with this. This is clearly divine in origin. And the gospel itself is on trial. It's on trial today. It was on trial then. And so I'm going to become a broken record as we go through Galatians to define the gospel, to explain it, to, to re-explain it, uh, to share the beauty of it and the simplicity of it, because we as a congregation, we need to understand what the gospel is in simple terms. And in simple terms, Paul defines the gospel for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. And there he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So we have the cross of Jesus as the gospel. It, it, it is there. It was foretold of by Scripture. Jesus lived it out. He went to the cross. He died for us. It was for our sins that he did this. He was buried, and then he rose from the dead. Uh, he did this 
as a substitute for us. He did this as a payment for our sins. We receive this gift by grace, meaning that we don't do anything to deserve it. We simply respond to the offer by faith, yes, Lord, I believe. Last week I quoted from Stephen Altaraj as he colors in the gospel. He says, I come sinful, broken, and needy to God, and he gives me the righteousness of Christ. I don't have anything to offer to God. The only thing I contribute to my salvation is my own sin. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Drug dealers, church kids, prostitutes, and members of the PTA all get the same deal, free forgiveness, redemption, and adoption in Christ. This is the gospel. It's powerful, and it's on trial. And Paul says, I did not get this uh, by human invention. I didn't get this from individuals uh, passing it along to me or teaching me. He says, but I received it. How he received the gospel, I received it through a a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus himself delivered the gospel to, to Paul. We looked at this the very first week. You could go back to Galatians, the very the first couple of verses in Galatians, or we expanded upon this, or you can go to the scripture, and you can go to Acts chapter nine, and you can review the story of Paul on the road to Damascus, really seeking to arrest these uh, young Christians, these Jewish converts. He was he was violent. He was harming them, and. And on that road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus himself actually appeared to Paul. And and there the gospel was given to him. And Paul was, through this experience, just radically transformed. And, and he says, this is where I got it. I got it from Jesus himself. He goes on to say in verse 13, For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. The recipients in Galatia, the believers who had responded to the gospel, who find themselves sort of in this tug of war between the apostle Paul and these Judaizers. They don't know who to believe. The Judaizers are making a really strong case. Now Paul is refuting what they're saying. And he said, he's basically telling them that you've heard of my former life. You heard of my life before Jesus. You've heard uh, that I was a great persecutor of the church In fact, what he says at the end of verse 13 is that he tried to destroy it. He literally wanted to destroy Christianity, to fully extinguish it, that it would be no more. He hated the gospel. He hated what the Christians were saying, this whole message of Jesus. This is a huge statement. None of us can say this. Verse 14, and he says, he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. So when he looks at the Judaizers, he says, you know what? I used to be one of them. 
and I was excelling faster than any of them were in the traditions, in Judaism. Uh, we, we, we believed that Paul was sort of on the fast track or were on the pipeline to become the high priest of the Sanhedrin, that this was a guy who was, who was pedigreed. He says that he was extremely zealous for his ancestral traditions. I think that that word traditions is super important. Traditions aren't Bible teaching. These are things that that we add to the scriptures. And Paul says that all of the stuff that we added to the scriptures, I was zealous for this. Last week I referenced Philippians chapter 3. I'd like to turn over there again. And I'd like to read through this passage again because it's so critical in our, in our formation of understanding who the apostle Paul was. And over in Philippians chapter 3, we read, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So this was something that Paul, throughout his ministry, was combating uh, fighting against religion, fighting against these Judaizers who were trying to add to the gospel. They were trying to say it's what Jesus did plus this. And so he was a broken record, and he continued to reiterate these same things. And so I'm going to reiterate these same things. It's super critical for us uh, to have this down in our minds. He goes on in verse 2, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. He's speaking very harshly against the Judaizers. These people were evil and were leading people astray, as Paul thought. In verse 3, he says, For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, even if, uh, if anyone else has mind to put confidence, confidence in the flesh, I far more. And so now he, in Philippians, is, is sort of uh, placing himself. He's like, let's, let's just take a time, at, time out here. He says, I, I stand for the gospel of grace. I, I believe in it fully. It's by grace alone, through faith, period. You can't do anything to earn your salvation with God. But he says, let's just for a moment, let me take off this hat and, and go back in time and, and remember who I was before Christ. And he's like, let me put my credentials up against theirs in my former life. And so he says, verse 4, um, or excuse me, verse 5, I far more circumcised on the eighth day. This, this goes back to that he was a Jew from his birth. Circumcised on the eighth, eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So he says if you take all of the traditions and what they said you had to do in order to uh, follow it, he says there was no accusation against me. I was blameless. I followed it to the T. There was nothing you could say about me 
concerning missing the mark with Judaism. that's That's a bold statement. And he's actually right in his like rehashing of, of the history of his life. He goes on to say, but whatever things were gained to me, and I think that he's talking about here last week when he said that if he was still trying to please man, when he says, but whatever things were gained to me, all of these things were gained to him because they were impressive. And man was impressed with his spiritual sort of prowess. This is a guy that before Christ you would be in awe of if you were a Jew during that time. He says, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He said, everything that I have, all the accolades, all of the prestige, all of the honor, everything that he had, they're gone. He exchanged them for Christ. And he says, and count them but rubbish. And rubbish is really like a sugarcoating the word. We could call it dung, and if you start digging on the actual word in the Greek, it's human excrement. So it's, it, 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 this is a foul word. It, this is foul language that Paul uses. He says, this is, this is garbage. Like, I can't even say it here, but he says, this is, this is dung. This is your septic tank, like the, the content of your septic tank. You think that religion is good and it makes you feel all special amongst fellow man, but in comparison to God, it's, it's vile. It's, it's dung. Isaiah says that his righteousness is a filthy rag compared to God. And the filthy rag is a, is a, is a, is a, a female menstrual rag. That we have no righteousness apart from Christ. He says, I count them all but rubbish or dung so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. All right, going back to Galatians chapter 1. Looking at this again, he says, you've heard of my former way of life in Judaism. He had a reputation. They knew about who Paul was. And he says, this was my life, but my life has been utterly transformed. And in, in this passage where we're looking sort of historically, there's not a whole lot of commands to us. When I look at Paul saying this about his former way of life, I think about my former way of life. Um, you know, the Alternatives Medical Clinic, I, I am on the board of directors there, and, you know, we've been searching for a new executive director and sort of going through applications and and it, and, in, and looking at people sort of just sort of evaluating their life. You know, the big, like, 
like there, there's a clear distinction when you look at somebody, like there, or there should be, that here was my life before Christ, then I, then I encounter Christ, and there's a difference. Now, obviously, like if you came to Christ at an early age and you've been in the church, that's wonderful. Like I think that's awesome. But, but even then, if you gave your life to Christ at an early age, like there should be evidence of your new life in Christ, even if like five years old, six years old, seven years old, 18, 19, like, like the tug of war in your flesh that you can see, no, the way I lead my life, it's surrendered to Christ. My flesh tells me to go this way, but this is what is in Christ. And so the question is like, what was your life before Christ like? And if you've just come to the Lord, like he's going to begin changing you. It's not about your past. It's about your present and where you're heading. He goes on to say, verse 15, but when he, the father who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Let's, let's work through this. So the first thing that stands out to me is that, that that Paul was set apart. And being set apart, this is that word righteousness or holiness, excuse me, that holiness means to be uh, set apart for a specific purpose. So God had set him apart from his mother's womb. And so in the mother's womb, we see this, this whole idea of the sanctity of, of, of human life. Um, Psalm 139 verse 13 says the same thing about King David. We as followers of Christ, we as Christians, hold to the sanctity of human life from conception to natural death. This week, I've just been, like, it's horrifying hearing the news, and as the new administration starts setting up their team, there's been a number of, um, you know, Senate confirmations, and this week, one of the Senate confirmations is dealing with the replacement of Ben Carson. I think it's for, like, the Health and Human Services Department, and California's former attorney general is going into that spot, and one of the senators started asking him about uh, abortion and, and, and where he thinks the line is. Like, like, where is the line that it would be wrong to have an abortion? And the individual would not give an answer. And so the senator started probing various things. None of them got a response out of the attorney general. Even a child that was being born naturally at term, a late-term abortion where the baby is, like if left alone, would be born normal, what, does he think it's wrong to basically execute the baby as it's being born? And he wouldn't give a response. And it's like, it's sickening. And the Bible makes it clear that in your mother's womb, we each have been set apart for a specific purpose. That at conception, human life begins. And this is something that we hold to. This is why we partner with alternatives. This is why we care about 
the sanctity of human life and, and defend the rights of the unborn. He, he says he was set apart from his mother's womb. He was called through grace. Again, this is you bring nothing to the table. That The only thing you bring to the table concerning your salvation is your sin. God provides everything. And then in verse 16, he says, uh, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul had a very specific purpose in his being called by the Lord. His mission statement in life was to bring the gospel that Jesus died according to the scriptures for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose on the third day. And he did this as a substitute for us so that we might have this relationship with God. But I love that so that I might. And the question is, like, what is your so that I might? Like, what has God called you to do as a believer in Christ? 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving. If you have given your life to Christ and you are a Christian, the Bible makes it clear that God has given you a gift to be used for the purpose of building up the body of Christ some, somehow, some way. And so my prayer is that you would live out your calling. But here we come to Paul, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes into his history. You know, we, we kind of know about the road to Damascus, but we don't really know the timeline. Like, we, like Acts just sort of goes, goes along. And if you read Acts, you could think this all happened over a matter of like a month or something. But really, there's like decades within the book of Acts. Like, like I, I, I don't know if throughout my head, I probably should have done this before I started preaching, but at 30, 40 years of chronological time within the book of Acts, and so Paul says here that he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus. And now in the second part of verse 16, he says, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. So he didn't go like to, to seek individuals within the church. He said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who are apostles before me. So he, he didn't go up to Jerusalem to say, hey, I'm Paul. Like he didn't write in and say, I just had this experience on the Damascus road. He says, but I went away to Arabia, which is modern-day Jordan. So it's out in the middle of the desert. So if you imagine Jerusalem, just go east out there in like the wilderness. He went away to, uh, to Arabia, and he ret- and returned once more uh, to Damascus. And so th- there is a time, verse 18, he says, then three years later. So he's... He's like out in the middle of nowhere for three years, like re-examining all that he knew. Like here's a guy who had memorized the whole Old Testament as a Pharisee, was, was a leader, was a, of a religious leader. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the application. He knew all of the details. He had his teaching. But then he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus and his whole world is turned upside down. Suddenly he had to reevaluate all that he knew. And so he goes out to the desert for a period of three years. 
And I believe that he's going through the Old Testament and everything that he knew and understood, reevaluating all of the passages concerning the Messiah and recalibrating his understanding. I think that this is important. You know, we, so often when we lead somebody to the Lord, we we desire to see a fast response, to see sort of like a that, that everything sort of happens overnight. It, it doesn't happen overnight. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity take time. Like the Apostle Paul takes, the, the first part we see here is three years. It's going to be much longer than that as we go through this. So verse 18, and three years later. So he's alone for three years, working through the Scriptures, after his encounter with Jesus, evaluating the claims of Christianity, sort of reorientating his whole mind. And then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to, became, to become acquainted with Cephas, or Peter, the leader of the church, whose mission was to the Jews. And he stayed with them for 15 days. So he spends two weeks with the apostle Peter. We're, we're told that he's alone with him. And so he explains what happened to him. He goes through everything. They're kind of getting, making sure Paul's like verifying that what he understands, what he understands that they're in agreement. He says in verse 19, I didn't see another one of the apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. Again, this is Jesus's half brother. They share the same mother, different father. This, uh, you know, again, Galatians that set the whole reformation on fire. I, I, you know, I was raised in the Catholic church. I was told the, of the, you know, immaculate conception of Jesus basically that Mary was a perpetual virgin her whole life, that she was uh, conceived supernaturally. It, it just, the whole concept goes against what the scriptures say. Like right here, except James, the Lord's brother. This is his, not just spiritual brother, this is his biological brother because Mary had relations with Joseph as a wife, and they had children. And Jesus had brothers and sisters. And one of the brothers, James, became a leader in the early church as an apostle. And so Paul goes to Jerusalem after th- three years after his conversion. And then he meets with Peter, spends two weeks with him. He doesn't see any of the other apostles except for Jesus' brother, James. And in verse 20, this parenthetical statement, we read there, Now what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Truth matters. Facts matter. I love that when we come to the Scriptures, archaeologists can go to the Middle East and they can dig and the discoveries that they make affirm what they see here. The Bible is factual. It's not a fairy tale. This isn't some sort of made-up thing. It, it's, it, it can be ugly in its picture of, of the people who are participating in it and the reality that they are sinful. This isn't some concocted book. Evidence supports it. Not all religions have the evidence to support Like There's a whole lot of phoniness in false religions. But as we come to biblical Christianity, Truth matters. And Paul is arguing for them that this is the truth. This is the facts. This is how I became an apostle. And this is the journey that I went on. 
So after, his, after three years, he makes his journey to Jerusalem. He spends two weeks there. Then we're told in verse 21, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So this is Syria's to the north, sort of to Antioch, where the, where the church sort of uh, became headquartered. And then into Cilicia, which is modern-day Turkey, which is where Galatia is. He said, I was still unknown, verse 22, by sight to the churches in Judea, which are in Christ. So Judea is the region down by Jerusalem, southern Israel. These churches, he was unknown to them. They had never seen him. Well, he wasn't unknown to them. He, he was unknown to them by sight. So they couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But they only kept hearing, so they heard about him. He had a reputation. The man who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. So Paul had this reputation. Our reputation matters, like our character matters. We want to live our lives with integrity. We want people to be able to, to dig and to see stuff in our lives. There should be evidence of your conversion. Uh, I've gone, like, as a chaplain going through background investigations with the sheriff's department, there's stuff in my life before Christ, which I'm quite frankly ashamed of. It's exposed, and I remember when I took my one lie detector test, and I'm like, oh, well, that, that was a rough year. That was before I became a Christian. Anything, like, then trying to push and find stuff post my convert, like, there was clearly, like, a line of demarcation. And Paul's going over everything. He says, you know, they'd, they'd heard about him and his destroying the church. His, like basically the murder of Stephen. He was there. And he was the one in authority. And he said, my reputation was going before me. They, they, couldn't, they, couldn't, they didn't know what I looked like. They couldn't point me out of a lineup. But they heard about my new life in Christ and what I was proclaiming. And it says, and they were glorifying God because of me. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think that as you live for Christ, regardless of where you came from, regardless of your past, living for Christ today can be a huge encouragement to others. That's absolutely true. I've seen it in my own life. I've been encouraged by people. I'm so encouraged by what God is doing in our church today. We've had people come to Christ. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Now, Paul is not done here. Like So, so he was unknown or unseen, unknown by sight to them, but he had a reputation. If we sneak ahead to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. So if we start piecing together the math from Paul's conversion to where things started to like rip and roar where we're getting to next week, 17 years. Conversion, so you don't become a... It, it, you're, you can't become a Pharisee until you're 30 years old. We have no idea how long Paul was a Pharisee for. Like I, you know, I was suspecting four, like 10 years, 40, 40-ish. And then he encounters Christ. Then there's like another, uh, a, 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 what was it, a, a three-year gap followed by a 14-year gap. So now we're like 17 years. So you know, easily we're pushing into like mid-60s before Paul's ministry began to, to take off. 
this is really like cool to, to me. So as, as, like we, as we close, like what, what do we do with this? This is like historical data. We're getting a bunch of stuff. I find it fascinating. But what can we learn from Paul and what he's saying here? The, the first thing that I see is spiritual growth, spiritual maturity takes time. The Apostle Paul, like God did a whole bunch of stuff before he launched and really began to be used. He was separated in his mother's womb and then everything was sort of ready for him to begin to serve and to go into ministry in his like mid, mid to late 60s. I, I often wonder like, well, what would my life have looked like if I was like raised in a different home and, and introduced to Christ at an early age and to start to like take in all the information? Like I, I often feel like I, I got off to a late start, but the reality is that God used all of that time in my life before Christ to, to mold me and to shape me into the man that he desired me to be so that I would be ready to be used by him. And to think that wherever you are, God is doing a work and you might be ready for like, you know, the, the next thing to start unfolding but God is like working in you and for us to be patient and to trust the time. Like it's a slow process. You don't just reach spiritual maturity overnight. It's a lifetime. But there will be spiritual growth in Christ. And as I look at this passage, as I see Paul say this so that, my biggest question to you is like, what's your so that I might? It's like, what has God gifted you to do so that you could be used to, to be a blessing to the church. I, I don't think this, this needs to be huge. Like, there's only one Billy Graham. We're not called to be other people. You're called to be you. It, it could be God has called you to be a, a godly spouse, which I think he's called all of us to do. You, you, God maybe has called you to, to break a, a, a nasty family cycle like like you know our families go in cycles and maybe god has called you to to follow after him so that you might be the 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 point of demarcation in your family tree from ungodly to godliness for the next generation serving here within the body of christ i do believe that your gift has been given to you to encourage the body of christ and so i don't know what that necessarily looks like for you, but I do want you to know as a follower of Christ that you have been gifted and that God wants you to use your gift to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And so with that, let's close in prayer. Um, Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, for your, um, your grace towards us. I thank you that... Um, you have paid it all for us. And there's nothing for us to do. We simply receive the gift that you have given by faith. Father, I pray for each person who's listening right now. I ask that you would do your work in their lives. Help them to hear your voice. Help them to yield to your spirit. Help them to grow. Help them to be patient with what you're doing. Father, I pray that you would help us to be patient with others as we uh, seek to, to see growth happen in an individual's life. It can take a long time. 
But Father, ultimately, we pray that you would help us to understand what you have gifted us to do and that we would use the gift or gifts that you've given us to be used to, to be an encouragement to our church family that would bring you glory. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, for all that you have done in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, well, today we're going to do something different I, uh, as, we, as we close. Um, if you've been away in person, we, I, I've been leading us in the doxology. But through Galatians, we've decided that we're going to, um, to shift over to singing the chorus of Jesus Paid It All. And I'm not going to do it for you. The worship team has recorded the chorus so that as we close, you can, uh, you can listen uh, to the song. So I pray that you would have a wonderful week this week. I look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, may God richly bless you this week.